Welcome. My name is Carl Schostrom, and in this episode, we're going to be looking at long-term incentives in the form of restricted stock and the very closely related deferred annual bonus plan where it's delivered in shares. Like with other episodes in this series of Getting Executive Conversation, it's just going to be a very high-level overview, followed by some pointers as to what you may want to consider if you are evaluating how companies implement and use restricted stock and deferred annual bonus plans. A restricted stock plan is an incentive where the individual is awarded shares. And those shares have a restriction, which is typically, first and foremost, around you staying employed. So as long as you stay with the company, you'll get those shares. The deferred annual bonus plan is very similar. It's that you get a certain number of shares as a result of your annual bonus. So the annual bonus is defined as being delivered in partly cash, for which is paid out at the end of the performance period, and partly either cash, or in this case we're mainly looking at shares, that will be delivered much later, maybe a year or three years or five years later. So shares are used instead of cash, essentially which means that if the share price goes up, it's a good thing for you. If a share price goes down, it's a bad thing for you. And if it stays flat, well, then you will have lost whatever inflation happened. The reasons we have restricted stock and deferred annual bonus plans are, are many. One of the key ones, and the one of the older reasons for introducing them in the first place, is to create a retention effect. So by delivering the value later, we're hoping that individuals will stay around and wait for the payments to, to materialize. The second reason for making this in shares is to encourage a sense of ownership to align the interests of the participants with those of the owners of the organization. And the third one, which is uh, probably more articulated since the financial crisis, is to have a possibility to claw back some of the reward or not pay out some of the reward because it's under restriction uh, for so many years. And that's particularly true with the deferred annual bonus plan. The other thing which is an interesting one around both restricted stock and deferred annual bonus plan is that there is a, a bit of a discussion around how long the plan should be and whether this can be instead of performance. Uh, so in Europe, there has been a lot of debate around performance share plans. And we'll, in a future episode, we'll talk about performance share plans. Performance share plans being very complicated. They, they are much, much more complex. And in order to get away from that complexity, maybe it's better to simply make awards to executives over a lower number of shares, since they are so guaranteed. You only lose them if you leave, but instead have a longer plan. So we get a bigger retention effect from the restricted stock plan. So maybe have it over five or seven years instead of three years. But no uh, 
performance requirements, but simply hanging in there, the theory being that uh, the value of the share will be sufficient of an incentive to to continue to uh, work for an improvement of the organization's overall value. It's an interesting one, that, but a bit bizarre, because in Europe, uh, the reason that restricted stock plans have essentially disappeared, if we don't count the deferred annual bonus plans, which are effectively restricted stock plans, but the reason they have disappeared is because investors felt that they were free money. Uh, They couldn't see the performance link and they felt that uh, there needed to be a very clear performance requirement which was forward-looking. That means you were performing after the award had been announced or triggered and rather than performing before. And performing before is, of course, what you do with the deferred annual bonus plan but it is also essentially what you do with a restricted stock plan. Uh, restricted stock plans tend to be awarded uh, on the basis of past performance, but there's also an element of um, potential for many awards, and it's very opaque how the the, the award is made, uh, since it's not tied to a bonus. So when we're designing these uh, different plans. There are a few things that, uh, that that we need to think about. There isn't an awful lot uh, of technicality around this since the restricted stock essentially just give shares uh, provided that uh, the individual remains in employment. With the deferred annual bonus, it's a little bit more complicated. And there we may have uh, different rules for what it is that triggers the deferral. So we may have different thresholds, for example, for when you defer. So if you earn more than X thousand, then the balance gets deferred, or it's a set percentage that is deferred, or which used to be the the uh, way that uh, the investment banking industry did it. You employ a tax table, so above a certain level, you you defer so much. Above the next level, you defer twice as much and so on and so forth. So the higher your bonus, the more you defer. It's also worth noting that defer annual bonuses often come with co-investment versions. So we used to have probably as many voluntary deferral plans as we had involuntary deferral or mandatory deferral plans. These days, almost all deferred annual bonuses are mandated. You have to defer. It's in the rules of the short-term incentive. In the past, you often had deferrals which were sweetened, so the company would match if uh, the individual deferred part of the bonus as long as that was deferred into shares. You can also have versions of deferred annual bonuses which smooth out the incentive pattern for the individual. One of the most classic ones is bonus banking, where you pay in the deferral into a hypothetical bonus banking account, and a share of that account is paid out every year. This means that in good years, you you pay in more, in bad years, you pay in less. But there is a always say a a third of the account that gets paid out, which has the effect of much smoother payments 
but that also means that the impact of poor performance and great performance is not seen in the individual's pocket as strongly as uh, the the classic deferral would or just simply a bonus payment would. But that can also have a positive effect depending on how how you want uh, individuals to react and behave around it. So what are the things that uh, one should consider when evaluating restricted stock and deferred annual bonus plans? Well, the first one is to come back to this point I made earlier about past versus future performance. Is it right that the company is rewarding with long-term incentives that are entirely based on past performance? Is the a deferred annual bonus payment, for example, is that a sufficient long-term incentive or do you need the the company to take a more long-term perspective forward when it comes to performance ambitions and show and signal that through the incentive? Or is it the case like certain sectors, many would argue, say, the, the food retail sector or apparel se- uh, retail sector, that uh, a month is a very long time and a year is tremendously long time in the, in that business, uh, therefore to reward annual performance but to have a long-term uh, delivery mechanism is much more appropriate. It does vary it's, and always comes back to what is most appropriate for your organization. The second point is to consider whether the dilution and the cost of running such plans, because uh, if you take it into the context of the benefits that are delivered and the perceived value, do you then get the biggest bang for, for your buck? Because the, the dilution to shareholders' capital, uh, basically what that is, is that if you use new issue shares, then the the already existing shares become worth less, have, have less of a voting power, have less of a value, all things being equal, because you are uh, suddenly distributing the value of the organization over more shares. There's also a cost, of course, associated to running incentives. And if you think the way that restricted stock and deferred annual bonus plans work, uh, there is an argument that you could say, well, why don't you just ask nicely or make people go out and buy shares? Because the restrictions, although they may have a retention effect, also likely to have a devaluing effect from the individual's perspective. So if you receive $1,000 today, you will value that more than if you receive $1,000 in a year's time. And in particular, if you don't know for sure that you're going to get those $1,000 in a year's time because there's always a question mark on the survival of the organization, the survival of you and your job, and so on. The third and final thing is just to consider why does the organization have this type of incentive? Is it because of wanting to achieve these ambitions of uh, retention or simplicity? Or is it a way of hiding an increase in the predictable and fixed remuneration by having a minimal requirement attached to or minimal restriction attached to uh, the value of what is being delivered? So 
Has the organization increased the bonus by adding a deferred annual bonus? Has the organization increased the base salary effectively by adding restricted stock that's paid into the future? Just questions. Now, I'm not saying that companies always do this, but these are questions to, to look at and consider when evaluating why companies do what they do. I hope this has been helpful and interesting. I hope that you feel that the subject now is a little bit clearer when you're looking at restricted stock or deferred annual bonus plans. Also hope that you'll join me for other episodes of Getting Executive Conversation. My name is Carl Shostrom and thank you for listening.